Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And just a reminder, if you're enjoying us, to rate, review, subscribe, recommend us. It really helps other people discover us. And we always welcome feedback or communication via our social media, FWM Podcast on Twitter and Facebook, and Feminists Without Mystique on Instagram. And if you want to throw us a few dollars, you can do that on Kofi, K-O-F-I. Um, yeah, happy International Women's Day to you, m'lady. Right back <laughs> at you, m'lady. <laughs> wow, a couple of couple of ladies celebrating the day. Yeah, Ugh. I feeling very it, celebrated. Yeah. I knew it was mm-hmm. that day before you told me five minutes ago. <laughs> you mean you didn't see it all over social media? <laughs> it was. I guess you were like working. I, I know. <laughs> were I was you working? Yeah. <laughs> I hate. I do hate it when my job gets in the way of like knowing things about the world and pop culture because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. check before work. I check after work, right. but sometimes I miss on the the nuances of, of what people are posting. You know, I'll see, like, yeah. the headlines and the news, but I won't see, like, oh, look at your friend posted this picture. Mm-hmm. Women today. <laughs> it's a day where it, there's a lot of interesting and supportive content, but, um, you know, it kind of depends on my mood. Like, if I'm sort of feeling like, can we just make the world a better place for women or, you know, not use it necessarily as a moment to be like glued to my phone all day like i don't know yeah i don't know just improve things for women okay we don't need a day we need a fucking lifetime (laughs) revolution we need a revolution (laughs) (laughs) all right the top so a positive update Mm. uh the aclu uh sued to block texas from investigating parents of trans youth we're talking about that um Last week, the investigating parents, not, not the uh, the blocking. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the fact that the stage was set for that to need to happen is awful. But um, glad to see forward momentum on that. Mm-hmm. Um, Russia's still invading Ukraine and um, civilians are dying and... Uh, today, we're recording on Tuesday, Biden banned the importation of Russian oil and natural gas in the U.S. Um, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Starbucks, and some other big brands suspended operations in Russia as well today. Um, I mean, there's it's hard. There's a lot going on every day. It's hard to kind of yeah. succinctly. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> Russia's committing human rights atrocities. There was also a ceasefire. Um, yeah where Russia was like, Ukrainians can flee to Russia or Belarus, Mm -hmm. Russia's close ally. Um, Mm -hmm. So continues to be thousands and thousands of people have died, continues to be an awful, awful um, situation to put it quite lightly. Yeah. I mean, so much that we're also not seeing, but that is like happening. um, The humanity, the scale of the humanitarian crisis seems super overwhelming. Not only is it the greatest like displacement since World War II in Europe, there's huge issues down in Mariupol um, where they don't have running water. There's basically they're under siege. They're kind of like locked in. 
and there's not enough food, water, public health emergency, their bodies in the streets. And it's just, um, it's a really terrifying situation hearing from people who are there because they thought that that was, it was safer to stay. It just like, I can't imagine how scary um, it would be to just know like you're basically stuck, you're unable to leave. Like also people are saying like they don't trust the ceasefires, which is understandable. One of the horrible things from this weekend was that photo of the mother and her two kids. That was awful. And like I wasn't uh, I, I realized the pr privilege of just saying like I just wasn't I went to the New York Times and I wasn't expecting that picture to be the first thing I saw. <laughs> And it was just like, just kind of stays with you for the day and sits in your body and heart and soul and is awful, kind of like this whole disaster. So that, yeah, that war rages on. Yeah, indeed. Russia is trying, well, Putin is trying to cut off the supply from the Black Sea, to and from the Black Sea. And yeah, that image was, again, like a, a position of privilege to not be used to it. But um, it's just, and it's, and it's also scary and thinking about the toll that this war is going to take however mm -hmm. long it ends up taking um because that that one family was far far too much <laughs> um to lose mm -hmm. and when you think about the massive scale that we've already lost and the uncertainty about when it's going to end it's yeah i mean incredibly incredibly tragic yeah uh, all right. Well, moving to um, something that's really has always been kind of a, a passion for me, although it feels a lot more, I guess, real, serious, trenchant and dangerous right now is like book burning and censorship um, happening. Um, I wanted to talk about this partially because there's so much um, there are so many think pieces. There was one yesterday in the New York Times, an op-ed by a UVA student. Um, the, the opinion was, I came to college eager to debate. I found self-censorship instead. So that was making the rounds, and it was about someone who basically said that she didn't feel like she was able to have a robust debate with students because, like, you know, basically, like, the liberal liberal students were – imposing their worldview and teachers on on her and anyone who might misspeak or have a, a slightly more conservative view. Um, so she wrote this op-ed. Now, I have lots of feelings on it. I feel like um, it was pretty vague. It was her talking about self-censorship. But again, like, obviously, you're not that scared because you're writing in the New York Times and you're getting published to basically talk about this self-censorship that you feel for your you know, beliefs. Um, but anyway, this was just one of many. And the fact that it came out yesterday was perfect timing. So I was like, perfect. This is literally exactly what I'm talking about. There's so much of these think pieces um, about uh, censorship on the left. And it feels like it gets, it gets a lot of air. And conservatives are really good at weaponizing this um, concept that liberals are shutting down debate, not engaging with debate, and um, just basically like imposing their ideas on other people. Now, I don't want to gaslight people. I think that there there's an element of that. It certainly shows up on Twitter. People slam down debate very quickly. There's a lot of ignorant ways to shut people down when they're just asking questions. And I, I think that, and that's a bummer. That's a bummer to see when that happens. But, and this is a major but, and this is what we're going to talk about today, the actual censorship, the actual 
structural who who holds the power and 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 who is shutting down discussions and taking away books from libraries from public libraries from public schools from curriculums and who is deciding what topics are not allowed in schools um, to be taught that is something that's coming um, much 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 more from from the right and it's coming on a variety of topics like you know gender and sexuality vulgar language race critical race theory and and racial tensions and police and you know police violence and then we get to mouse which is the pulitzer prize winning book about mass murder of jews in the holocaust my main overarching point that i want to like as we get into is just basically to explore how book banning and how the censorship in a in 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 the tangible ways that are actually measured by like which books are censored and where and why the the numbers and the data is on the side of these are these are real movements by conservatives and they are they are gaining ground they are happening much more frequently and um i want to talk about that and here we are and here we are <laughs> to talk about uh just that just that uh, <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, no, I do. I do think there is a lot of outcry on the right and and from conservatives about this idea that you know we're telling them what they can or cannot say, think, and do. Um, mm-hmm. When in reality, what's happening from the left is a dismissal of certain ideas, certainly, and a questioning of certain ideas, but not often this like canceling that they seem to purport is happening. Whereas, mm-hmm. like you're you're saying, it, it there does seem to be an active cancellation in process um, from the right in a variety of different ways, but particularly in the the book banning um, realm of things, especially in in Texas, I was finding from a surprise, yeah, uh, surprise from my from my <laughs> readings, but uh, pretty mm-hmm. much everywhere in the country. But you brought up. Mouse, which is a graphic novel about the Holocaust, and it was removed from a Tennessee school district's eighth grade curriculum because it, and again, like you said, this this won a Pulitzer Prize, but the McMinn County School Board deemed Mouse inappropriate for 13-year-olds because it included swear words and drawings of nude figures. And there was a board member who voted on this and voted for it to be banned who hadn't even seen the book, let alone read the book, but he mm-hmm. he had read reviews. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Spiegelman, um, who's the author of the book, said to the New York Times, this is disturbing imagery, but you know what? It's disturbing history, and I feel like that is mm-hmm. the point. Um, mm-hmm. 13-year-olds are old enough to understand things whether or not you want them to is another debate another question um you know if you're a parent (laughs) but they do they do understand things and if we're hiding history or not including things because of the naked body which is not we all have naked bodies i it's i'm not advocating for like turning on Pornhub in the 13 year old's classroom but including naked bodies it's it's not pornographic it's not inappropriate we all we all have bodies and we've all heard profanity and there are child psychologists whose job it is to determine which books are age appropriate mm-hmm. 
you know, and there are teachers and there are experts who aren't parents. <laughs> right. To determine what is appropriate. And when you let parents decide Mm -hmm. it is such a slippery slope because then parents beliefs come in and then they can all vote on whether they (laughs) think something's right or not but you know y'all aren't the teachers here you're not Mm -hmm. the school psychologists you're not any sort of an expert in in the field I mean sure some parents are do happen to be (laughs) teachers or something but the parents who are advocating for the bannings of, of books like mouse are not um in my opinion, advocating for what is right for their children. They're just hiding information from them, um, sanitizing history. And we'll get into it more, but there's oftentimes a bit of racism involved. Surprise, oh, shocking yeah. always in American so uh, history and present, but here we are. Yeah, I um, I find it frustrating too, because with the 13-year-old age, you know, I think it's interesting to, to also co- draw the comparison to like, the MPAA rating system and like which there are lots of flaws in there's actually a great documentary about it this film is not yet rated definitely check it out but it's an interesting way to sort of tier what's appropriate and why and what age range things are appropriate PG-13 it is determined that below the age of 13 you'd want a parent parental guidance to consume things that have like heavy drug use nudity specific amounts of violence um, and sexual like sexually explicit um, materials that's kind of where we're that's kind of the same sort of type of situation with with books and with graphic novels that people that middle school middle school is a tough time to try to kind of figure out what's okay for kids but they're developing they know a lot about the world at this point and i really really feel like i mean and i this is probably biased when did you learn did you learn about the holocaust in eighth grade mostly or like did when did you have like the giant unit do you remember uh... We definitely had smatterings of it. I'm trying to think, I think if it was seventh or sixth grade that it was like the big, the big moment. But we definitely had like smatterings of it when we were younger. Mm-hmm. And then at some point in middle school between sixth and eighth grade was a big unit. And then it was again revisited in high school at some point. For me, it was definitely in eighth grade. We spent, I think, probably about a half a year, a half of a school year on it. Um, and it was really important because... It, I think that spending the time helping students understand like how that atrocity was committed, the history, like the um, the psychology, Milgram experiment, all that stuff, and then to kind of consume books, the graphic novel Mouse came up a lot, um, and then there were films, and there were I, I'm pretty sure there was a list of films, and the teacher that we had made sure that it was sort of like here are the ones that I think. We, you know, we either watched bits of in class and were encouraged to watch the rest at home, but check with the parent. There was Schindler's List, which is rated R, and there's and um, so a few foreign language ones. There's Life is Beautiful. Anyway, there there are movies that are just as horrifying in their depictions of the Holocaust, and it is something that by eighth grade you need to be learning about you can't sanitize like there's and you shouldn't really ever sanitize there's ways to talk to kids at different grade levels anyway and so coming back to mouse specifically and in this and in Tennessee was that school board member it might have been Mike Cochran <laughs> maybe who hadn't read it because I also pulled a quote where he kind of he, he says the quiet part out loud which I you know it feels like at some point when are we all just gonna like understand that there's just such a broader 
detrimental thing going on here. He said, it looks like the entire curriculum is developed to normalize sexuality, normalize nudity, and normalize vulgar language. I think we need to relook at the entire curriculum. This is a quote about Mouse. So he is turning his huge, he is casting a wide net here to say anything the whole school curriculum needs to be reconsidered on the basis of normalizing sexuality, nudity, and vulgar language, which, by the way, that is normal. That's a normal part of society, and pretending anything otherwise is going to create a bunch of very odd and maladjusted kids and who, who turn into adults. Anyway, I, I found that a pretty troubling statement because it just – it was already confusing to start with Mouse and to start with sort of you find – teaching 13-year-olds about the Holocaust through graphic novels, uh, like, unacceptable and must be removed from schools. Why exactly? Yeah. And they they always say they don't, like, they don't have a problem with teaching the Holocaust. They just don't want to do it this way. It's like, mm -hmm. what way do you want to teach the Holocaust where it's not upsetting? Because I feel like if you're teaching the Holocaust and it's not upsetting, you're not teaching the Holocaust. You're, That's sort of like You're the doing whole... something wrong. Yeah, it's kind of part of the whole... Yeah. Point. The whole thing of it is how awful and unbelievably, you know, unbelievably devastating it was. Right. So it doesn't happen again. And yet they're like, mm, we can't teach our kids history because history is sad. It's bad. It's like, yeah, it is. Right. It's also, it feels like a ruse a little bit because I wonder if Mike Cochran lets, you know, if he has kids, does he let them play video games? Are those video games violence? Does that normalize violence, sexuality, and vulgar language? Mm -hmm. Because as far as I know, and maybe I'm, you know, I, I don't play video games that often, but from what that I heard. Often. When? <laughs> not ever, that actually. often. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> in third grade, I watched okay. people play the James Bond one. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't play video games often, aka in third grade I watched some people play the James Bond one. <laughs> Carry on. Yes, yes. To that's... clarify that for our listeners. Uh... Yeah. I know, that was like a whole fake news like sentence there. I don't play wait, video wait, wait, games. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I would bet my life on one person not playing video games, and that would be you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's accurate. Um I feel that I'm pretty sure that video games normalize all that. I also think a lot of movies that parents are fine with their kids watching from comedies that include grotesque language and sexuality and like treating women like shit. Judd that Apatow a lot of times for 10 yeah, years. Like, I was just about to say like the Judd Apatows, like certain Will Ferrell, Ben Stillery commodities, like we all enjoyed, um, but there, there wasn't like this sort of fierce protection from most parents you know there was always I think there's always an evangelical element that protects from that I thought it was interesting too that like from 2000 to 2009 Harry Potter was always the most censored book because of witchcraft yes because the Christian the Christian hashtag not all Christians <laughs> but some Christians were like what is this literal sorcery yeah um, including um side side shade to my co-host here including a roommate that i was stuck with when you oh that's not it. shade to me girl <laughs> i know she, i was just like come back i was stuck my myself oh my you could do a whole <laughs> series a whole mini series 
on that situation. Um, but no, yeah, the, the Harry anyway, it was because yeah. it was. I forget what I was seeing was the uh, the most banned before that, but then there was like ten years where it was literally all Harry Potter's because of the concerns with sorcery and witchcraft and not being christians right a lot of people who probably support jk now (laughs) right right that seemed to me an interesting it helps understand like the obama era optimism right because like my understanding and i (laughs) i wrote a paper on censorship book banning and censorship in eighth grade, obviously very formative year for me. I couldn't believe, like, I mean, I was incensed that anyone would be like targeting Harry Potter on the basis of witchcraft. That was, that seemed really silly to me, but notice that like a lot of people obviously didn't give a shit about like vulgarity and like the presence of LGBTQ voices, critical race theory, obviously, well, that wasn't like a that wasn't like a hot button phrase at that point, but like this has been like a shit stirred pot that kind of originated with Trump and the culture wars that he sort of helped froth up. And now we are having to counter that. He's created a bunch of, he's like a Hydra. He has like, we try to, you know, you try to cut off one of their heads and then like, like five more heads come up. So there are so many little ignorant hydras in all these public school systems and throughout the country bearing the the Trump foamy-mouthed ignorance to try to control what what's available in public libraries and what is available in school curriculums. And like you say, the idea of having like p- parental choice in this really does feel like almost like states' rights where you're like parental choice, aka whatever the most ignorant, narrow-minded parent wants is like, what's going to fly for the whole school system? <laughs> it's like, yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, yeah, there's got to be a, a limit to parental mm-hmm. choice. And there was one, I read a lot of articles, you know, <laughs> I'm something of a literate gal and wow. Um, <laughs> I read this one, like NBC did like a little article about like book banding and stuff, but there was this this girl that they spoke with that I felt like kind of illuminated uh, what is at stake here and why we're upset. It's not about, you know, us versus them. And there is a meaningfulness to having certain books available. And there was a 17-year-old girl in Texas. Um, she's queer. She's not out to her parents um, because of their view that homosexuality is a sin. Um, and she said her safe space is a library and that her parents wouldn't let her read the books that affirm her identity, like books about queer youth. Um, and that some of her favorites have been banned, uh, in the past year. Uh, she said, as I've struggled with my own identity as a queer person, it's been really, really important to me that I have access to these books. Um, and I'm sure it's really important to other queer kids. You should be able to see yourself reflected on the page. And I just wanted to pay a moment, a moment to that, to, to speak to why this matters, you know, like if you're a young yes. queer kid in a family that doesn't accept you, maybe in a community that doesn't accept you, you can go to the library and you can see stories of like other powerful queer people on the page, resonate with that, feel powerful. Yes. And also we should have more stories other than those about like straight white Christian men, you know, like. You yes. can tell those stories too. Sure, honey. I'll, I'll sidle up and hear all about Josh, but um, <laughs> we should also have, you know, 
we should have a, a full array of stories because it is better for children to have access to that for their own self-esteem for their understanding of the world um there is no actual downside it's just some people like we cannot let parents decide these things i'm sorry like we can't because parents are just people and people shouldn't like there's a reason you didn't go into education every person you know like trust just like you go to the doctor or the nurse practitioner for certain things like Mm -hmm. send your kids to a teacher banning this shit is is not the answer i i was happy to see that uh mouse has been on like the top of bestseller lists because of this and back ordered Mm -hmm. yes people are like all right (laughs) tell me not to read this to my kids because i will do it and that's the thing is parents can the, the silver lining, if it's even that, is that parents can choose to expose their children to to, to works uh, of art like that. But if you can't discuss it in school, then it's taking away the, the importance of that work of art. Yes, I, I totally agree. And I think hopefully progress will prevail like in this country and um, the multitude of voices that are now getting m- platformed more and getting to kind of write and be heard and be published and hopefully there's going to be some sort of we will just like collectively beat the group of narrow-minded people who are trying desperately to like trying to shrink progress basically trying to drag us all back into the past we're all having to reckon with this ugly ugly movement of of book banning and um a lot of these laws that are about parental rights um basically because they're because progress is happening i'm i'm tr- i'm going to try to see it ho- in that hopeful perspective which is there are a lot more voices crying out for for justice and telling stories that are portraying you know portraying things that we haven't really seen stories and perspectives that we have just not heard and so it's it's important for people to see themselves represented and for people to really feel and read experiences that mirror their own and it's just and it's it's equally important for for people who don't have those experiences to be exposed to that mm-hmm. um so hopefully this is again i i mean how many times have we said over the like over the podcast like this last gasp of like <laughs> I, I can't keep saying it but it's kind of the only way for me to try to grapple with like the just the 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 energy of these toxic ignorant people um it's it it goes i mean it's it's book banning but it's also I think that there's a direct line between the book banning and the uh, these bills like the Florida Senate today as, you know, they passed a bill um, that prohibits, would prohibit, and Governor DeSantis said he's going to sign it, but it would prohibit, quote, classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, it's People are calling it the don't say gay bill. We'll talk more about it when it passes, which I feel like it will. Um, but this is a t- this is banning discussion. This is prohibiting classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity, which is the which is a core thing that that all children kind of are go through. Mm-hmm. You know, some sort of you're you're trying to understand your sexuality. You're trying to understand what your gender identity is. Um, there are more words like to talk about it and describe what you're feeling, which some people find so scary. Oh, and no. you know. <laughs> 
But like we're talking about laws here, laws that are banning discussions. That is what real censorship is. And that is what like and if we're we're banning books, we are banning, we're trying to ban ideas because, mm-hmm. you know, if you think an idea is dangerous, I think it means it needs to be read. Whatever the idea is needs to be distributed for free to all classrooms across the country. Yeah, discuss it. And the fact that um, some of these educational gag orders are all they're being done in colleges too um Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be i mean in high schools and middle schools this shouldn't happen either but in in college even that is really really scary and actually every single republican controlled state where the legislator legislature is currently in session is considering a new educational gag order bill so it's huge and and another reason we're talking about it is because yeah it is just on it's on the upswing um there are a ton of schools in this country. It's not like every single school is battling this, but it is something that is definitively on the uptick, something to keep our mm-hmm. eyes on. Looking over it again at Texas, which is a good slash bad example. Mm-hmm. So in the current school year, in almost 100 school districts, 75 formal requests were made to ban books from libraries, and only one request like that was filed during the same period last year. And these mm-hmm. ban attempts in Texas and across the country have disproportionately targeted books, young adult books, books that teens are running out uh, that document the experiences of LGBTQ people and of Black people. So and I feel like that's not too, uh, it's kind of associated with the the banning of like critical race theory. And They're all huddled under the same umbrella. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen anything about banning any books about white history. Yeah. You know, there's no uh, no big movement there. Uh, no. Interesting yeah. way that that happens. But when, you, when you're banning these, these books that document experiences of LGBTQ people, of Black people, of people of color, you're, like, banning these kids from that experience. Like, maybe, yeah, like, they're in a home where they can't access things like that. Or maybe they are, but they need other roots and they're kids and they want to learn and that is their right. You know, it's – school is a place to learn and to – hear other viewpoints and to discuss them in a safe place and we're trying to legislate that out of our school and like what do what what do these people want school to be like a training academy of fake news of just like america great white people great end of college you get degree like is that what we're going for here it kind of feels like it yes I mean, I, and I think like, I think it is, there are, um, like, I, I'm probably not going to be able to find it in my uh, tabs right now, but there is, you know, one movement where uh, a legislator wants to basically like create a, a curriculum that has, um, that is centered around, like, I think the phrase was like loving patriots, you know, like he wants, he wants kids to be quote loving patriots. And that is what the curriculum should be centered around. We are talking about real consequences here too. If some of these laws pass, like governor Greg Abbott of Texas, ugh, you know, he, he's called for criminal charges against any school staff member who provides children with access to young adult novels that some conservatives have labeled pornography. It's like, I'm sorry, but like, you know, no one, none of you guys seem to like really care when we were reading, um, you know, when, when we're reading like big, uh, what it, not big little lies, uh, the, the one that kind of sounds like that, but those like young adult novels, like Angus thongs and full. I was, li- I was like snogging and something. Yes. <laughs> oh, Angus 
thongs and full frontal snogging. Oh, we were all mm. – there were the couch humping girls who were ca- humping their couches with that. And there were <laughs> the rest of us who were finding jacuzzi jets, using our hands, whatever. <laughs> we were all getting down or at least reading and because you have a natural curiosity yeah. about these things. You get to an age where you can understand it to an extent – your parents mm-hmm. don't want to talk to you about it. Reading these books is a way to understand and to like almost have like an outlet and feel like a a normal person, normal kid. Like, oh yeah, this is what happens. Yeah. It's, it happens. There were all these different like Gossip Girl was pretty explicit. Oh yeah. Um, I read that in middle school. And then there were other books like Speak and Go Ask Alice, like mm-hmm. books about drugs and rape that you kind of um, 13 julie of the wolves like that had a sexual assault in it for sure yeah so many books that were just like but no one seemed to really care then about that really one um republican representative matt kraus made a list of 850 titles dealing with racism or sexuality that quote might make students feel discomfort and demanded that texas school districts investigate whether the books were in their libraries it's an unprecedented level of censorship. Um, I think this was the NBC investigation that you were referencing too. And then there are other districts who reported challenges, um, more challenges this year, like the 2021 to 2022 school year than in the past two decades combined. It's really seems like this is one of those battlegrounds. Um, There's a proposed Tennessee law separate from you know, the McMinnon school system that is trying to propose that textbooks that, quote, promote LGBTQ issues or lifestyle, the law would prohibit those textbooks. There was one law that passed in, I think it was June, that would prohibit materials that make someone feel, quote, discomfort based, um, prohibit materials that make someone feel, quote, discomfort based on their race or sex. That, I think, is sort of interesting, too. I mean, it's totally unacceptable. But um, it kind of runs counter to, I think, this sort of think piece campaign, op-ed campaign that we keep seeing about like, well, I feel uncomfortable because I hold like relatively conservative or libertarian or moderate beliefs, or I feel uncomfortable if I'm going to misspeak in a public setting, I'm going to be attacked for those beliefs by liberals. Like I am trying to, you know, I I, I want to read those because it's like, okay, you feel like you're feeling you have these feelings <laughs> but these aren't laws that are going into place to limit your ability to to speak and your ability to learn about things that speak to you or different people's experiences you are if anything being given more and more sp- space to run around <laughs> and say whatever you want to say that's you're afraid is kind of cause discomfort i guess in your liberal classroom or you know that someone in your social circle is going to get upset about I just there are so many of these pieces that seem like they're really not based it's based on anecdotal it's anecdotes Mm -hmm. and they aren't laws (laughs) and we're sitting here I think that there's like kind of parallel stories because the in the in the op-ed from I guess yesterday in the New York Times that student from UVA was like and a lot of people like it's just like an underreported thing okay well the banning of books in different school systems is underreported and has also been described as something where there's a lot of self-censorship because teachers and librarians don't want to step in it. Mm-hmm. So they are they remove things but like without really they quietly remove things so that there isn't a big they don't want to be in the middle of a cultural war um, and like some sort of school district fight where they have to get up and explain it. 
And now those librarians and those teachers are not the ones generally writing in the New York Times op-eds because they're legit scared for their, you know, their reputation, their school district. They don't want to deal with the onslaught that would come from trying to stand up and say, hey, I think mouse should be allowed. I think other banned books should be permitted in schools. I'm trying to stand up for free thought and for a space that's more neutral. It just gets my goat. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's um, teachers are supposed to be able to just go into their... (laughs) The things we ask of teachers (laughs) is is so much and they just want to be able to go in and teach and now that is being legislated in a way where they're like I can't can I teach black history month at all or does mentioning that black people exist come in some sort of contrast with my district's anti-CRT rule you know the way we've legislated and policed just thinking is is really scary like the idea that based on where you live whether or not your child can will be taught something resembling accurate history or be able to read books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're supposed to create an environment where you can discuss these books. And if there's some, you know, like with Catcher in the Rye, if there's white saviorism, for instance, like let's discuss that in the classroom. Yeah. You know? Same with To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. with the white saviorism let's talk about Huckleberry Finn and the use of the N-word. I mean, and I I would go even as far as to say, because there is, there's this, um, the couple of books that are usually called for to be removed from classrooms on the, on the left, which is something that I also find unacceptable, would be like, like To Kill a Mockingbird. Um, and I haven't heard as much about Catcher in the Rye, but I, I meant to say to, to kill a mockingbird. My brain. Oh, okay. Just was like, like honestly, let me equate I... these two. I hate to kill. I fucking hate I, Catcher in the Rye. I hated. I Catcher thought it was in the Rye. so deep when I read it, though. I was like, ooh, oh. ooh, human, ooh. And I look back and this is the stupidest shit. But no, oh, it was I was to kill a mockingbird. Uh, Atticus Finch being the the white yes. savior, hundred yeah. percent. And then my brain was just like, you're upset about something. Catcher. <laughs> Hey, I was like, I had only Golden read Catcher in the Rye once. I, was like, I wouldn't be surprised if that guy had some thoughts. I'm that were sure like, if we reread it, we'd be like, these are all the instances of, you know. Yeah. No. Oh, God. No. Holden, yeah, innocent mm. until proven guilty on that one. Just guilty of boring me to tears. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, ooh, male angst. Like, oh, get out of here. A guy, <laughs> oh, no, little white boy is feeling so sweet his problems oh, i feel so bad for him what a waste of time oh um, catch yourself man <laughs> i do think that like i think if anything catcher in the rye and huckleberry finn and there are books that i think people that that are upsetting in terms of the language that they use for sure and some of the themes when it when we are trying to understand you know concepts of like what is a white savior and what how it does that show up in movies and books and um i think it's an important thing to explore also atticus finch in the her more, more recent book um apparently had like different racist beliefs i didn't actually go ahead and read that one mm-hmm. um but uh I think that there's value in teaching it or at least um, at a minimum making it available to in the library. You know, I don't know that it necessarily is a book 
either of those books have to be core curriculum books. And I also don't even know like what, you know, we should just reevaluate what should capital S should, should be on the core curriculum. I don't really, you know, definitely, Hey, I'm not an expert. Um, I just think that like having these books available for people to come to on their own terms in the library is incredibly important. It makes me really sad that this is a place where there, where the culture kind of like a toxicity raging culture war seems to be sort of settling like a noxious cloud over schools and children and young adults <laughs> um, on a more kind of like dark note. It seems sinister because it's when you read about like what, you know, if you're on the steps towards an authoritarian regime, it, part of it has to do with censoring of books and ideas and making it not okay to say certain words. Um, I mean, in Russia, I think they just, there's now a new penalty, not only like, you know, you can't talk about it being a war with Ukraine. Like if you say the word war and you're a journalist, you might be facing prison time or something. Like mm -hmm. there just shouldn't be that type of censorship in terms of, of any words or books. <laughs> it's scary that this seems to be gaining ground um, and that there's some sort of narrative that seems very hard to wrangle and and contend with in a real way that 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 actually the censorship is coming from from the left when that that is not tangibly true no it's not and it's I think that the concerning part of the concerning part of it is that it's not like oh this one oddball county Decided mm -hmm. to ban where the red fern grows because they're, you know, whatever they have a wacky leaf about ferns. It's like no, there's this <laughs> top of my head. No, ferns. there's like a a pervasive, um, you know, not every school district in the country, but there is a growing and a pervasive um, belief that parents can and should adjust curriculum, and it is showing up in uh, some really. Some really awful ways i feel like it's it's part of the the same um empowerment that conservatives feel in other realms of their life this is just sort of the education version of it um but it is it is scary and it, it doesn't feel like like i said like a one-off thing it feels like we are moving in a direction mm -hmm. and what is happening in those districts now is awful but what could potentially happen is catastrophic you know if you take away the ability for teachers to teach curriculum according to accurate history mm -hmm. um, and all this is happening when we have you know a democrat as president mm -hmm. uh, and that makes me nervous you know it's not just about the banning of books in these specific places even though that in of itself would be enough to be upset about but it, it's what mm -hmm. it means for the future um it's yeah it's it's very unsettling and it's it's scary yeah and it's also like it's not you know when we talk about places where there's censorship and book banning it's um it's not happening in predominantly in communities of color you know it's not like we're seeing this um issue where um there are communities trying to ban um stories that are talking about the founding fathers you know it's not like there's like a visceral need coming from other communities to say 
we don't want to learn about George Washington or, you know, like Alexander Hamilton or whatever. Um, It's just like Pete, there's a group of people that feel so threatened by um, scholars being like, let's think about the year 1619. Like, let's come up with like other paradigms or other, other structures to understand American history, like through the lens of basically the slave trade, you know, <laughs> anyway. So like, it just feels like this is, again, it's, it's definitely like it dips into, or is, is fully submerged um, by, by a, a white privilege sort of stance. Um, it's just, it's icky and um it's just there's so many ugh, there's so many offshoots it's just hard to even uh, makes me upset let's go back to the harry potter witchcraft situation let's <laughs> go <laughs> so back to the concern being witchcraft <laughs> yeah that was so quaint Ugh. anyway okay <sighs> and now for we see you all righty uh this past sunday michigan state congressional candidate robert reagan not not of well, the Reagans. Uh, <laughs> then I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> Different Reagans. There's no A uh, in the beginning. It's just R-E-G. Uh, so it was on a live stream for a conservative group called Coalition to Rescue Michigan. From what? I'm not sure. Uh, we don't know. Uh, while they discussed giving up on the 2020 presidential election, LOL. <laughs> it's time yeah great um robert reagan reagan for some reason interjected you know having three daughters i tell my daughters well if rape is inevitable you should just lie back and enjoy it oh that's not how we roll that's not how i won this election we go right at it what (laughs) are you saying what is your are you saying you raped this election are you saying you didn't rape this election (laughs) i am so unsure robert about your any of the intention behind your words um he won his primary with 33 percent of the vote um and he's been considered a front runner um there was a special election for this position so we'll We'll see what happens. Um, a fun fact I learned was during his first run for office in 2014, his daughter Stephanie tweeted, if you're in Michigan and 18 plus, please, for the love of God, do not vote for my dad for state rep. Tell everyone. <laughs> so that gave me joy to know his daughter in 2014 was like, please, God, don't vote for my father. And he's now like, yeah, I told my three daughters if rapes. Anyway. <sighs> so unclear on so many things robert um but i do know that we (laughs) see you robert yeah robert Um, we see you yeah two thumbs up to his daughter stephanie (laughs) oh my god good for her good for her doing her best (laughs) don't vote (laughs) my dad (laughs) oh my god well um we discussed earlier in our episode about the Florida Senate passing uh, the bill that would prohibit prohibit classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity. It is um, called the Don't Say Gay bill, uh, I mean, by its opponents, by, by Floridians who want this to pass. It's called, like, the Parental Rights Freedom, rah, like, whatever it's called. Um, anyway, so <laughs> people were wondering um, – why uh disney hadn't like weighed in to come and stand behind um the lgbtq community 
um, because so much of their company is based in Florida. And of course, they like wave that pride flag in June as part of their PR all the time. Anyway, they've been like tremendously silent on this. Um, And finally, yesterday, um, Walt Disney CEO Bob Chapek, Chapek, Chapek. Um, he told staff in a memo that the company, quote, unequivocally stands with its LGBTQ employees in the wake of passing the don't say gay bill, but he acknowledged there's more that the company needs to do. So he said, quote, I want to be crystal clear. I and the entire leadership team unequivocally stand in support of our LGBTQ employees, their families, communities, and we're committing to creating a more inclusive company and world. We all share the same goal of a more tolerant, respectful world. Where we may differ is the tactics to get there. And because the struggle is much bigger than any one bill in any one state, I believe the best way for our community is uh, to bring about lasting change is through the inspiring content we produce, the welcoming culture we create, and the diverse community and of organizations, community organizations we support. So that's like a huge steaming pile of horse shit. Um, because basically I feel like, and for people who are on TikTok and know the trend, um, the sound where the baby's like, I'm just a baby. And then the mom's like, but you still have to do what I said. And the baby goes, I'm just a baby. Um, I feel like that is kind of Bob Chappick here. He's like, I'm just a baby. I'm just a baby. Like (laughs) basically like what, what could I possibly do? I don't have any power. What would little old me be able to do to influence anything? Bye, you know. So it was just such a pathetic statement. It it was a huge, um, hugely like nothing, you know, nothing statement. And it's because Disney gets a lot of money and um, is scared, I think, of leadership in the GOP and wants to just keep everything copacetic. Um, they benefit from, you know the policies that the GOP has in place in Florida, um, like less taxation and all sorts of sort of like corporate friendly um, laws there. So um, I just feel like it's really gross because this is like, there's, you know, there were, I'm you could come out and full-throatedly oppose the bill, but you could also um, don't, like, I guess I'm just kind of offended that you would, um, and kind of disgusted that, that he would sort of look and be like, what could Disney possibly do? We're just one company and this is just one law in one state. And like, meh, we'll create, we'll keep creating diverse content. It's just like, no, no, you don't live in a bubble. Like you can't just like wave the LGBTQ flag in June and then forget about it. Like when push comes to shove, which is like, this is push comes to shove. This is like standing up for your staff for for the diverse content because you know maybe they'll come for the diverse content next in fact they kind of already are in what they ban from public schools and from libraries what they're wanting to ban includes content that you produce you idiots so anyway bob chapik we see you we see you this next one uh i mean it's obviously we see the white supremacists uh it's not super controversial, <laughs> but um, apparently the white supremacists in this country are getting more uh, efficient due to social media and other technology. 
um, the distribution of white supremacist propaganda around the United States um, stayed quite high last year. Almost 5,000 incidents reported, um, average of about 13 a day per the Anti-Defamation League. Um, and the Anti-Defamation League's report on these incidents, they're noting increased levels of coordination and mobilization uh, within the movement. They're basically white supremacists are able to mobilize supporters quickly to target neighborhoods in multiple states at the same time. Um, it is on the up and up, as we have alluded to. There's hateful propaganda that appeared in every state, apparently except for Hawaii. Um, hmm. Mahalo. <laughs> with the highest <laughs> levels of activity in Pennsylvania, Virginia, and of course, Texas. Um, Texas is the the center of the Patriot Front, uh, which is <laughs> not as mm. fun a group as it sounds, or exactly as fun to <laughs> <laughs> you are um but so texas is the the origins of the patriot group and they're responsible for the majority of propaganda distribution more than 82 percent of the national total and of course that's what the adl was looking at they can't actually access every single bit of it but um patriot front also is responsible for holding two of the largest white supremacist events in 2021 including one in dc um and there are some of the examples of hate speech highlighted. You know, what does hate speech mean? Are they overreacting? No. Um, so it's instances where banners are draped over highway overpasses. We talked about that. Uh, I believe in Florida when there were various mm. Nazi, uh, neo-Nazi things hanging over highway overpasses. Um, also mm. mentions flyers. There are apparently a bunch of flyers blaming Jewish people for the threat of COVID-19. Stickers proclaiming Hitler was right attached to a menorah outside of California synagogue. Um, a lot of really, really classy stuff. Uh, but the takeaway is that Patriot Front in Texas and many others are basically ensuring that white supremacist propaganda is spreading more than it has uh, historically. And uh, one in five patriot front applicants so apparently have to apply to be part of this group this white supremacist group wow have elite. very elite they have ties to the military um which is frightening um to think yeah. about and you know i i can look over at ukraine and be inspired by the ukrainian civilians um who are doing what they need to do to protect their country um and think about here and what that would look like here. Ugh, scary. It's a different, um, different scary image. So we see you to Patriot Front, and we see you to obviously all white supremacists all the time, but particularly <laughs> yeah. Patriot Front. Ugh, it's creepy, scary. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Um. All right. So Alec Baldwin. Ugh. He was at the Boulder Ooh. International Film Festival this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Glad you're doing it, man. Yeah. You know, it just really, really frustrates me um, that he's sort of claiming victimhood here when he shot and killed someone um, and then shot and really har seriously harmed uh, another person. Um, 
he's basically like he's had anger issues in the past. I'm sure we all remember the infamous voicemail that he left his daughter where he like called her a little bitch. <laughs> Just not not a great look on him, you know, for a, for a while at this point. It's been clear he's sort of kind of an asshole. But um, there's been understandably a few lawsuits that people have filed over these fatal shootings, including the family of cinematographer cinematographer uh Halna Hutchins. Um and Alec Baldwin said uh when he was asked about it, he was like, oh their their attitude is, oh, the people who likely seem negligent have no money and the people who have money are not negligent. But we're not gonna let that stop us from doing what we need to do in terms of litigation. Um, why sue people if you're not gonna get money? That's what you're doing it for. I uh, fuck you. I mean, you are responsible for this. You were holding the gun and you shot the gun. You also kind of, you, it was your production company, um, that was in charge. So you do hold some liability. Um, and it's just his, his initial apology to the family was, um, inappropriate and insensitive months ago. Um, but it's just ridiculous to me that he continues. I guess the only th- the only move that he has is to continue to deflect blame. Um, he he and the director who was injured, shot and injured, um, have told investigators that the guns were first checked by first armorer Hannah Gutierrez Reed and by assistant director David Halls, who would hand the firearms to the actor using them. Um, but there's been lots of reports from crew and staff um, that the situation, um, that it was a low budget film and safety protocols, proper safety, safety protocols were not being handled um, and, or not being um, heated and that there were breaches of industry protocols um, kind of throughout the film shoot. Um, so this is just, I mean, I kind of, I'm kind I'm just grossed out that I guess that he's like, he's at a film festival at all right now. He should just be like, he should just be reflecting at home. You killed someone. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of grossed out that you're like at a film festival and then you're like defensive and spiteful about the family of the cinematographer you, who, who you killed. Yeah. He's a producer, man. Uh. You're a producer. And then, yeah, I mean, and you were wielding the gun. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, this family is suing you because they've lost their daughter. And I'm sure in an instant they would obviously prefer their daughter back, you know. Um, and, like, if I were a family member, if I even had, like, the will to carry on, I would – hundred percent make this my like entire life's goal is to drain you of every drop of money that you have. Cause that's the only thing left for me, you know, spite and revenge. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, you know, Alec hasn't, hasn't painted a good picture of himself here, you know? No, 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 not at all. No, uh, just really doubling down on that, uh, that image we all have of him as being kind of a narcissistic asshole. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, like, we see you to Alec Baldwin, and then just as a final little, like, pop of that Alec Baldwin balloon, um, the guy, the the actor on SNL who's taking over um, doing impressions of Trump is way better 
He's so good. I forget his name. He's a relatively oh, new cast is, member. Yeah, the voice. I li- <laughs> yes. like when I watch slash listen. It's like, oh, you, yeah, yeah. I got it down. Sir. He's got it down. Yeah. So, um, and plus, that seems more in the spirit of SNL too, like bringing new talent in to be amazing. Yeah. Anyway, but I digress. Alex, we see you yeah. out, Baldwin. Alex Baldwin was just all like prosthetics <laughs> for that role. Yeah. Whatever, Whatever Alec. Um, (laughs) space junk what uh so when i saw the headline in a first a mysterious rocket part is about to slam into the moon by accident i thought oh geez Uh uh-oh we could be concerned about this now um so yes a leftover rocket part that's been hurtling through space is about to hit the moon um around uh, apparently 7:25 eastern time on friday is when we believe that it will be the first time a man-made missile has unintentionally hit the moon whoopsies wow. um <clears throat> the the rocket part that's expected to hit the the moon is likely a piece of a chinese spacecraft launch in 2014 initially i thought it was a piece of the spacex thing um Yikes. both spacex and china have been like nah dog that's not me um but the most <laughs> recent who did yeah, <laughs> city um but the most recent <laughs> thing is yeah like likely a chinese spacecraft Ooh. um Ooh. apparently it would be like a meteorite hitting the moon uh, or a small asteroid and apparently more than a dozen spacecraft have crashed onto the moon surface on accident I was so Whoa. oblivious to all these whoopsie moon smashings that have apparently been happening. <laughs> um, and apparently space junk is not a big problem for the moon yet. The moon's okay. Constant, like those craters apparently <laughs> literally come from shit hitting the moon. Um, oh my God. Yeah. Shit's just <laughs> smacking the moon all day, every day, apparently. But oh Earth gosh. apparently is where the concern is with the space junk. Um, and there's a, there's an organization called Privateer, um, where uh, someone named Moriba Ja is an aerospace engineer, and Privateer it's a company aimed at tracking space debris, and ninety uh, percent of what they're tracking is literal space garbage. And while space is big and apparently chances of collision are low, the more and more stuff that we're just junking into space, the higher the risk. November 2021, the Russian military actually blew up a defunct uh, satellite in space with a missile, Mm. uh, producing thousands of pieces of debris uh, that apparently threatened the International Space Station. Okay. So... Yeah, just as we've polluted everything on the surface of Earth, uh, various countries are also polluting literal space and just pummeling the moon. Shit's getting back into Earth. Um, This is another... I saw this and I'm like, this is another way humanity could all go up in flames. You know, I feel like we've got our eyes on the climate crisis, on nuclear war, on all kinds of things. And space junk just entered uh my mind for a possibility apparently the white house (laughs) and other countries are um increasing its efforts as far as space debris go but at this point many many countries have just kind of thrown shit to space thrown their hands up and been like whatever um and we're realizing oh that might be bad to just have a bunch (laughs) of shit 
flying around space. Um, oh my gosh. So we see you to littering space. Yeah. Wow. As well. Like the ocean and the land. It's not, not enough. Not quite enough. We need to think wow. bigger. We need out of space. Oh my gosh. Wow. Good for us. Yep. Littering in space. Another existential crisis for us all. Oh my God. Okay. Well, my final we see you is, oh man, just Missouri lawmakers who are trying to stop residents from obtaining abortions out of state. Out of state. Um, yeah. So this measure um, is, of course, a strategy um, to just make um, abortion illegal everywhere and make everyone's lives miserable. And um, you're trying to extend your tendrils beyond, you know, GOP-led states. Um, and it's like straight up unconstitutional. Like you can't... Um, you can't restrict movement between states. You just, unless you're declaring martial law or something like that, but you're just, it's not, this is not, um, you can't, it's so fundamentally like, I don't see how this even with like a super conservative court is like allowed to stand. Cause also like conservative courts are like states, right. And this is like, this is one time where it's like, Hey, states, if this is a state's rights thing, you have the right to do whatever the fuck fucked up regressive bullshit you want in your state that's led by Republicans, but you can't um, impose that on people when they leave the state. Like, how would you even litigate that? Um, but yeah, this is a new provision that was introduced by um, a white woman, Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman. Um, and this this takes its it's a it's a takes a page from the Texas book playbook where you can just again like we're emboldening private citizens to sue anyone, just fucking anyone. Um, so this allows private citizens to be vigilantes and sue anyone who helps a Missouri resident obtain an abortion out of state. Um, so it's um it's moving through committee, um, hasn't passed yet, but it's pretty enraging. Um, and it's, uh, you know, people are super emboldened by the court that we have and by the different laws that have been allowed to stand specifically, uh, the one in Texas. Um, the uh, majority of people seeking abortions in Texas, uh, since there's six-week abortion ban took effect, um, have been able to obtain procedures at clinics in neighboring states or by ordering abortion pills. Um, and, a de and demand for abortions has skyrocketed in Oklahoma, Louisiana, New Mexico, and other states. Planned Parenthood clinics um, in states that border Texas have reported patient traffic increasing by nearly 800%, and independent providers have reported comparable increases. Um, there is uh, only one Planned Parenthood, I think, in Missouri. Let me see. Um, I'm trying to see if I if that piece of information is in my notes. I'm pretty sure there's only one Missouri. Um, the state's become super, super conservative. Um, it's the state that had that uh, Senate candidate who was like, just your body has a way to shut that whole thing down and just put a little pill between your legs. You know, it was just like, you know, idiot. So, 
Um, anyway, um, this is so just like a massive we see you and how profoundly depressing. And I'm just uh, watching in horror as these as states keep passing this like Handmaid's Tale shit. Mm-hmm. Handmaid's Tale, another book that's banned. Uh, no, <laughs> yes, <places>. exactly. <laughs> oh, God. Under his eye. Mm, under his eye. Um, <laughs> good thing. Yeah. With an asterisk. Uh, yeah. Oh, as, as is our... <laughs> as always, because, as always. Uh, you know, Putin wasn't assaulting uh, Ukraine, and we wouldn't have this story. Um, yeah. But... In Berlin, I was seeing that thousands of Berlin residents showed up at the train station to welcome refugees, and they'd have signs with how many people they could host, basically. And that's been happening at all kinds of um, of borders, essentially, that Ukrainians and people who are living in Ukraine are arriving at, and they're finding thousands of people there with signs um, indicating, oh, we can, I can host a family of two or five or four or whatever. And it is... Um, heartening to see that goodness in people in um, juxtaposition to Putin and what is causing all of this um, you know all these heartbreaking circumstances so it's as awful as it is that people are in this position they shouldn't be there and this shouldn't be happening the fact that there are people who are willing to take these people in from other countries is is heartening in a sense so it is it is good to see that there are <laughs> there is still good in humanity and that we're willing yeah. to help out one another yes totally it's very good yay yay <laughs> <laughs> oh all right well on that note feminist without mystique is part of the frolic podcast network find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts Bye. Bye.